0: Praise the Lord. Uh, I want to visit Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. For those of you who were here with us on Wednesday, uh, this was a uh, message that I began here on Wednesday. I've actually been preaching it a little bit longer uh, in the other campus. So if you feed off of both streams, both um, uh, teaching uh, YouTube channels or whatever... Podcast. If you feed on the one from uh, the other campus as well, you may have already been uh, receiving along this line. But I want to look at Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. And it's a scripture that's usually used around Christmas. uh, But it is not a Christmas scripture. So we want to feed on it tonight. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born... Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. And for the sake of our teaching, we want to zone in specifically on the phrase, The Prince of Peace. We would generally look at the term prince as meaning the son of a king. But when we see the word prince used in scripture, it is identifying a level of authority. It is identifying someone who is in a leadership role. And when it's used here, for instance, in the uh, New Testament, we see uh, the scripture we used this morning to show how Jesus triumphed over the principalities. Uh, It is uh, uh, used specifically as princes in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 where it says, if the princes of this world had known, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. Well, it's talking about demonic influences in the world system, in the fallen system, and it was referring to those who were in leadership. So what we want to see then is when it's using the Prince of Peace, it's talking about how Jesus governs. Uh It's one of the characteristics to help us identify His governing, His manner of governing, how He Uh, exercises His authority in our life and His dominion in our life, His peace, the peace of Jesus. And so for us to have an accurate interaction with the peace of God, we've got to define it the way He defines it. We have to have the same meaning that He has for this word peace. Because we often would, in our society, define the word peace as a freedom from chaos, a serene, tranquil, calm, all of those things to describe something that is peaceful. But that's not the definition that God has for the word peace. In the the Old Testament, it is the Hebrew word shalom, and it means the peace that comes from being made Whole The peace that comes from being made whole it can the, a very accurate description of it is nothing missing, nothing broken. Nothing, if you have the peace of God, you have nothing missing in your life. You have nothing broken in your life. The peace is not a, an emotion, it's not a feeling of peace. it is a force. Of peace. All of the characteristics listed in Galatians chapter 5, 22, and 23, they are supernatural forces. We see peace listed in that, that list. We see the love of God. We know that's not an emotion. We know that is a supernatural force, who God is. God is love. It is a, a flow of his character, it is a supernatural force through which we're saved. But because He loved us, He sent His Son. Jesus did everything He did because of the love of the Father. When we see the joy of the Lord, we know it is a supernatural force that makes us strong, providing us strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So joy is not a feeling, it's not an emotion, it's not a natural condition of life. It is a supernatural force that operates in the heart of man, the spirit of man, causing strength, spiritual strength to come into their life. Well, the peace is also a force, a supernatural force that causes restoration in a person's life. It will continue its operation in our lives until we reach the place that we no longer have any missing places, that we no longer have any brokenness in our life. That's what the peace of God wants to do, wants to work in the heart of the people of God, a, a, the, a whole life, a complete life, nothing missing, nothing broken in our life. That's what peace is designed to do. And so when we begin to identify this peace, we see Jesus talking about um, uh, His peace. Uh, Actually, let's go back and look at how uh, people had misconstrued some things that God had said. And Jesus was setting it straight in Matthew chapter uh, 5 and 6 when He is doing the sermon, what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. And He said, you've heard it said but I say unto you. You've heard it said, but I say unto you. You've heard it said, but I say unto you. Well, one of the things, each of those were things that they had heard from the the Word, but they had taken it and made it to mean something that God never intended for it to mean. And one of the things he pointed out was vengeance, because he said, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And they had taken that to mean I'm going to get you for that. I am, You are. I. You are on my hit list. I got your name, and I've written it in my book. You know, they have. They had taken it to mean something that it didn't mean in God's intent. And he. That's when he says, "Love your enemies. Uh, 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 bless those who curse you. Uh, if, if they ask you to go a mile, go to. He is. He is setting right what they had wrong. And so the eye for an eye, what did it mean? What did it mean to say an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? What was the intent? If you go back and read that in Deuteronomy, the intent was that if you cause a broken place in your neighbor, you need to have the mindset that I can't leave my neighbor broken. I can't cause my neighbor to be missing his oxen. And it uses that example in Deuteronomy. It says if you borrow your neighbor's oxen and while, it's, while it is uh, plowing your field, it breaks its leg, then you need to restore to your neighbor what you borrowed and broke of his. You need to make sure that you restore to him. And what it was trying to... in, in, in uh, 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 ingrained in the people of God was a concept of I don't want to ever be responsible for causing broken places in my neighbor. I want to be a restorer. I want to be one who makes wholeness. Why? Because that is God. And when they said to each other, hello, they actually used the salutation, how is your peace? You see it when Jethro comes to talk to Moses. He asks him, how is your peace? You see it when there were uh, other interactions in the, the Old Testament. They asked each other, how is your peace? And we use the example on Wednesday about the Shunammite woman. And the Shunammite woman, when uh, she was going to get the man of God to come back to raise her child from the dead... What she said was, I shall be whole. But when Gehazi came to meet her, that was what he asked her. How is your peace? How is your husband's peace? How is your son's peace? That was what was on their mind. It was what was in their thoughts. It was their thought pattern to think of a wholeness life, to think of of the peace of God that makes us whole. And that's what God wants us to see when he... Uh, He promises us a covenant of peace. Ezekiel talks about the fact that we have a covenant of peace. This is the everlasting covenant we have through the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. This everlasting covenant is a covenant that will cause our lives to come back to a place of wholeness no matter how broken we've been before Christ, no matter how life before Christ has emptied us out and and broken areas of our relationships and broken uh, areas in our thinking and broken down our finances, no matter how much sin tore us up before Christ, He wants to begin immediately working on a wholeness and a restoration in our lives and peace goes to work to bring that wholeness. So when it says that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, it's telling us He governs through, he governs one of the characteristics of his leadership in our life is he's going to bring our lives up to a standard of wholeness and maintain that wholeness in our life. He said in John chapter 14 and verse 27, he said, "'Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, "'not as the world gives, give I unto you. "'Let not your heart be troubled, neither neither let it be afraid.'" So I am giving you my force, my supernatural supply of restoration so that you can live your life whole, you can live your life complete, If there is a broken place, peace is going to go to work to mend it, to make it whole again. And if anything in the future comes to violate your peace, peace is going to come in like a river and and refurbish or uh, refill or restock and resupply the area that the curse is trying to steal from you, that the situation... So peace is available at all times. He says, my peace... I give unto you. My peace, I give unto you. So if we only see that verse and say, my calmness, my serenity, my tranquility, I give unto you, we'll miss it. But the disciples knew what he meant. They were Hebrew in their culture. They knew that he is saying, my nothing missing, nothing broken, I give unto you. So you don't have anything to worry about. Don't let your heart be troubled. You don't have anything to fear. Why? Because you've got my force that will make your life whole and intact and complete. Now this is the mindset we want to have as we look again at Mark chapter 5. And faith comes by hearing and hearing. Mark 5, verse 25. There was a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years. 12 years. 12 years is a long time to have something broken in your life. 12 years. And she had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had. She must have been a wealthy woman if it took her 12 years to spend all that she had. 12 years to wipe out her finances. She had suffered and she had spent all, and now she was not better, but instead w- grew worse. It was a continual downhill slide for her. It continually got worse. With every treatment, nothing got better, nothing maintained. It was a continual drain, a continual uh, 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 decrease, a continual subtracting from her life. And she was worse worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until she heard of Jesus. It says, when she had heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched His garment because for she said, If I may touch but His clothes, I shall be whole. Whole. She wanted wholeness. She wanted restoration. She wanted her life back. She wanted wholeness not just a stop of the problem she wanted wholeness she wanted to be whole again I shall be whole that's what her faith is focused on I shall be whole So what's coming out of her mouth is in the abundance of her heart. She's speaking her faith. What we see her saying is her faith speaking, I shall be whole. She's targeting wholeness. And because of that, she said, if I can just even touch his clothes, just his clothes, if I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in Body in her body, she felt that she was healed of that plague. It was something that she could physically recognize had taken place. If she had had it for 12 years, you would have to know the minute it left, she knew it was gone. She knew it was gone. She knew in her body, she knew that it that it she was healed of that plague, and Jesus knew it. It says, Jesus immediately knowing in himself that virtue. This word virtue is the Greek word dunamis, which we use in Acts 1, 8, that says, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. It's miraculous power. One definition is the miracle worker. And and so this miraculous power, he knew miraculous power had gone out of him and into someone And he didn't know who. He didn't know who. And he did not initiate the release of the power. He did not choose to release power into her body. She chose it. She accessed the power that was available. It was in him. And and it was evidently not off limits. It was evidently free for the taking. (laughs) He, He wasn't mad at her for taking it. She wasn't in trouble for accessing it. She wasn't in trouble for getting it. He was thrilled somebody touched him. He was thrilled somebody accessed that power. But what I want us to see is that supernatural force that caused restoration in her life was accessed on her choice and not his. It was available for her, just like God's restoration is available for us. But we're not waiting on Him. It's not us waiting on Him to restore that area of our life. It's not us waiting on Him to heal. It's not us waiting on Him to to prosper. It's not us waiting on Him to, to make those things change. It's available faith. He said to her, daughter... Your faith, verse 34, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has accessed this force that provides restoration and has made you whole. Faith made her whole. But we just saw it was power that came out of His body. a supernatural, miracle-working power that restored her body. But Jesus said it was her faith Why? Because there were a lot of people that touched him naturally and never accessed that power. But faith was on her part what caused the access. This building is wired for electricity. Because this building is wired for electricity, we can turn on the light switch. We can plug in our instruments into the outlets. We can can take full advantage of the electricity and what it offers us, the help that it offers us, the vision, the light that it offers to us, the cool air, thank you (laughs) Jesus, that it offers to us. We can take full advantage because this building has been wired for power hallelujah and when it's wired for power you can just flip the switch and access the power well faith is the wiring that connects to what's already available in Christ see the the power is already available they brought power right out here to our pole we just had to wire it into the building So Jesus has already provided the restoration in our redemption. It's already available. We've just got to wire into it so that we can bring it into our home, bring it into our finances, bring it into our physical body. That's what she did. She said, if I can just touch... I shall be whole. If I can just make the contact, if I can just flip the switch, I shall be whole. I have access, I'm going to access, I'm going to touch, I'm going to be a conduit to bring the restoration. Is that what the Shunammite woman did? Did she provide a connection between the power that brought that child into her life in the first place? That was the the peace of God at work to fill a void in her life, to find an area in her life where she was missing and broken and, and brought wholeness to her that she had not been able to access any other way. And then when that child died, she went back to the power supply and rewired some more power into the house. I've got to flip the switch and get the same power that brought this wholeness into my life in the first place to maintain this wholeness because the curse is trying to take it from me. The curse is trying to steal the life of my child from me so I'm going to access the restoration. And that's why she kept saying, I have the peace that comes from being made whole. I have the peace that comes from being made whole. Hallelujah. That was her answer to her husband. That was her answer to Gehazi. And then when she got to the man of God, she let him know, you're coming home with me. You're, I'm not letting go of you, you, you. Nope, sending Gehazi with the sticks, not going to get it done. You're going to have to come to my house because you're, we're, we're going to have wholeness before I tuck my, my family into bed tonight. Amen. Hallelujah. Wow. But that was a connection. What would have happened if she would have just surrendered to the circumstance and said, Okay, well, this is this is what happened. I'm thankful for what I did have. What would have happened? What would have happened if J. Iris would have just when they came to him and said, Don't trouble the master anymore? What what was he wanting? Did he say, If you will come to my house and lay hands on my daughter, she will live? Yes. Is he saying I'm gonna have wholeness? Yes where her life is concerned. But they came to Him and said, Don't trouble the Master. It's over. It's too late. It's hopeless. She's already gone. Your daughter is dead. And, and Jesus said, Do not fear, only believe. Only believe. What would have happened if He would have just surrendered to the circumstance and let the, the flow of the curse have its, its, its direction in his life and change the course of his family. But no, he, he held to the restoration. He held to the Word and he experienced restoration and the Shunammite woman experienced restoration and this woman here in Mark chapter 5, she experienced restoration. They experienced experience wholeness because that's the way our Lord governs. That's the desire of the master in our lives. If you want to know what pleases God in my life, uh, this morning we used a scripture from uh, Psalm thirty-five twenty-seven. Pastor Ron was teaching over the offering. Psalm thirty-five twenty-seven. God takes pleasure in the prosperity. That word prosperity is the word that talks wholeness. You can take it and apply it to your finances, but it's a whole life prosperity. The real word is that God takes pleasure in the nothing missing, nothing broken of your life. So if we want to please Him, and I do, with all my heart I want to please Him. With all my heart I want to live accurately before Him. And to live accurately before Him includes me receiving every provision He's made mine. It includes me walking in the full restoration power so that He can make my life a life where there is nothing missing and nothing broken in my life. So this peace, Jesus says to this woman here in Mark chapter 5, He says, go in peace. And if you'll bring me verse 34 up in the um, Amplified Bible, I want to look... Uh, specifically at this. You know, he said your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you whole. Amplified says restored you to health. See faith and restoration? Restored. So he says faith has made you whole. Faith has made you whole. But then he says go into peace and be made whole. King James. Amplified says be continually healed and freed go into peace which gives us an idea that this covenant woman did not have peace governing in her home before because what was happening in her home before it got worse and it got worse and it got worse and it got worse that should not be in the life of a believer. Don't get under condemnation if you have had that pattern in your life. I'm just telling you there's better. I'm just telling you, you don't have to put up with that. There is a supply of restoration so that it can just get better and better. This is the plan of God, better and better and better increase you more and more you and your children it's an increase it is a flow of the blessing that is supposed to begin and have a continual momentum building in your life until you say can it get any better and god says just you wait i'm just about to show you how much better it can get and you just keep get, it keeps getting better and better and better that's the desire of god's peace at work in our life, better and better. So he said, if you'll go into peace, if you'll go in this flow of peace, if you will go into this, this force of peace that's available for you as a covenant benefit, you will be continually healed, continually freed, continually whole. The King James said, be whole. He said, faith has made you whole, but if you want to stay whole, peace is required. Peace is necessary for a continual restoration at work. When it gets you to the point that you are fully restored, then it will provide maintenance restoration so that if anything comes up that tries to steal from you, anything that comes up and tries to break down on you, anything that comes up and tries to, to cause a missing a void in your life, the peace is still there continually. Continually. That's what I want us to see about this force, this operation of peace, that peace. Through the leadership and the governing of Jesus in our life, He is going to restore and restore and restore. His peace is going to work to keep us continually freed, continually supplied, continually healed. Hallelujah. Isaiah 26 and verse 3 Isaiah 26, 3. Now, John 14, 27, Jesus, again, I'm going to remind us what he said. I'm giving you my peace. I'm giving you my peace. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it. That is a liberty. That is a liberty. He says I can let it or not let it, and he's telling me don't let it. So it is in my power to maintain my heart. My heart never has to be troubled. I can, I can govern the condition of my heart to the point that there's not one phone call that can unnerve me. Amen. There's not one news report that can cause me to lose the victory. There's not one doctor's report that can steal my victory from me that can make me enter into a state of agitation or fear or worry or anxiety. No matter what I hear, no matter what confronts me, no matter what I face, I can maintain my peace because Jesus said, Don't let your heart be troubled. So that's in my power. I can do that. You can do that. We can do that. And don't let it be afraid. He identified them both separately. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be afraid. So we are to then take our responsibility over our heart. Now, this is so vital. If, if I could, if I could, if I could have, if I could have your attention and sit down with you one-on-one and tell you the most important thing right now. The most important thing you need to know right now. The most, Because I've been praying for you. As your pastor, I've been praying for you. And I dealt with the women about this last night. This is so vital that we be full. Amen. Full of peace, full of joy, full of the Word full of light, this is so important that we do not let our lives coast right now. Amen. That we do not put ourselves in a, a um, catatonic, I'm just waiting till this is all over, I'm just biding my time. No, we don't have any time to be biding. This is not the time. There is a, a demonic force that's trying to drain it's trying to drain people it's there is it's the curse and the fear and all of the distraction and all of the chaos and all of the the all of it it is designed to drain and, and I just want to grab every one of us and say, we've got to give our heart condition such priority right now. We've got to give the Word our focus. We've got to put it in and put it in and put it in and guard our heart with all diligence for out of our heart flows the issues of life. We've got to be full because our lives depend on it. Our lives depend on it. And we've got to allow this peace of God to help bring restoration in areas where we're worn. We've got to let the peace of God help us to restore those areas where we've been drained. Hallelujah. He says you will keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. This word perfect is the word shalom. And if you were to look it up in the Strong's Concordance, it says you will keep him in shalom, shalom. The word perfect as it's translated is not identifying without flaw. It's identifying well-developed. It's the same way we talk about being perfected till we all come into the perfection, the perfect uh, stature of Christ, the fullness of Christ. This is talking about well-developed. He is able to keep us in a well-developed state, a well-developed condition, a well-developed place of nothing missing, nothing broken as we keep our mind stayed fixed on him, As we keep our perception, our imagination, our thoughts stayed on Him. Not focused on worry, not focused on, on all of the distractions, conspiracy theories and all of the other uh, uh, things that have uh, no significant uh, value to the directions that you're taking in your life, the plan of God for your life. I had someone, two people this last week, Uh, one minister said that some of his, the people that that he was associated with had sent him a video of a a man, a a pastor who had a vision or a dream uh, and they were concerned about it. And... I did not want to know. It immediately, right here in my spirit, a red flag came up. And I, 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 I did not inquire as to what the vision was or what the dream was. And I directed the conversation away from him telling me any detail about it. Because immediately, right here, the Spirit of God began to tell me, You don't want to know. I, I don't want you to know. Well, then somebody in in the uh, congregation there at the Hispanic uh, congregation sent me the link to it and said, what do you think about this? Because I have family members who are really in fear now because they've watched this. And I said, I'm not even going to watch it because it's already been brought to my attention and the Spirit of God told me it wasn't for my attention. But I'm going to tell you this was my answer because this is what came up to me the moment that it first came to my attention. The trusted voices in my life have already given indication as to what's taking place for us, the body of Christ, in the last days. The trusted voices who have prophesied about the last days have said that this is going to be a time where the signs and the wonders, all of the previous uh, outpourings, from days past, are going to be combined into one. We're going to see the healing revival and the moving of the Spirit, and we're going to see the uh, the power of God in manifestation, the nine gifts of the Spirit in full potential power, the nine fruit of the Spirit operating in full potential power, the five ministry offices operating in the full potential of their offices. We're going to see the, the those who do know their God be strong and do exploits. We're going to see uh, the, the outpouring of God upon His people. We're going to see us exercising authority in Jesus' name. Devils are going to be cast out. Blind are going to see. This is what we are going to experience. And that's and the Lord said, that's what I told you to talk about. That's what I told you to focus on. And so, I, you know, uh, I, I mentioned I, I shared it with Pastor In both occasions, and he said, uh, the next morning he got up from prayer and he said, he came in after after prayer uh, uh, and and we were uh, getting ready for breakfast and he said, um, the Lord reminded me there are some things that are for the world and some things that are for the church, and if people try to preach from Matthew twenty four, the things that are information for the world to know, what's going to happen to the world it's not going to happen to the church. That's not for the church. And so I'm not to say whether that person who had that dream or vision, whatever the case may be, but I'm telling you the Holy Spirit told me not to give my attention to it. And if we give our attention to things that are not for our attention, then, we, then you'll have to spend, expend extra energy casting down imaginations and dealing with the fear that is, is inherent in that wrong thing. Dr. Ed Dufresne, the first time he came to our church, was standing in the hallway, and we had pictures of ministers who had been at our church previously on the wall. And he looked up, and I know it was by the power of God. He was a prophet, operated in the office of a prophet very distinctly. And, and he, he didn't care about <laughs> decorum. He looked up, at, and I know it didn't, he didn't have time to think about it. It wasn't coming out of the natural side of him. He looked up at a picture of a certain person on the wall, and he said, Huh. You need to stay in your own camp right at me. I mean, just look right at me. You need to stay in your own camp. And I said, uh, well, she's a strong woman of God. And, I, 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 and he said, you can follow my wife. She's a strong woman of God, but you need to stay in your own camp. Well, I was, I was a little bit put out. <laughs> but I backed off. I backed off from the relationship that I had there. And within the next few months, that person's ministry came tumbling down. And I recognized what God was telling me as I was feeding on things that weren't for me. And one of the things in that there were a lot of good things, but one thing that just kind of snuck in every once in a while, just kind of, just, you know, just when it's getting good and you're like, ah, yeah, that's right, this one just kind of just, just was inserted in. That God brings that difficulty to make you more anointed. That God brought that, God put you through that, God designed that, God put you through that rough part, that crushing of the olives so that you'd have more olive oil. <laughs> and I knew that wasn't right. And when the person would say it, I would be like, yeah, 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 that's not right. But I like the other part. And I would try to use that, you know, chew the hay, spit out the sticks kind of thing. But, you know, Charles Capp said he had a horse that almost died because of swallowing a stick. That horse ate the hay, got a stick stuck down in his throat, and if the veterinarian had not reached down into his throat and pulled that stick out, that horse would have died. And I encountered a difficulty not long after that. And do you know what immediately stood in my path to victory? An obstacle that popped up that I didn't even know was there. It was that wrong teaching that I had allowed because I liked part of the message and I permitted it and that other part now came up like an obstacle. And it took me extra energy to cast down the wrong, to deal with that wrong so that I could get to my victory, so that I could get to what I needed in applying the word. And it was a hard lesson, but it was a lesson that I learned and I, 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 I put it in, into place in my life that it's not worth it to me to listen to something that has a little bit of wrong in it. And Pastor uses the brownies with just a little tiny... I mean, you won't even taste the cow manure in the brownies. But can I put just a little teeny tiny... Smidgen. I mean, smidgen's not even on the measuring chart. Just a smidge. A smidge of brownies. A smidge of cow manure in your brownies. You won't taste it. The cocoa will cover up the taste of the cow manure. But we don't want the manure in our brownies. And we don't want the wrong doctrine in our heart. And we don't want reports that aren't for us. They're not designed to tell us what's happening in our future. We already have the report of the Lord of what's happening for us. Hallelujah. This is how we maintain peace. This is how we stay where He is able. He is able to keep us in a well-developed, secure wholeness, nothing missing, nothing broken, as we keep our minds stayed on him. And then it says this, because He trusts in you. Trust is the key. Trust is the key. The scripture that Pastor Jim was ministering from Jeremiah chapter 7, it, the difference between the man who experienced the heat and the destruction and the stunted growth and the man who didn't even see when the same heat came same same conditions different results same same adversities but one ended up stunted with a barren dry existence and the other had a full flourishing restored Nothing missing, nothing broken life. What was the difference between the first man in 5 and 6 and the second man in verses 7 and 8? Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and makes the Lord his hope, makes the Lord his expectation. The man who trusts in the arm of man, the man who trusts in himself or trusts in in natural ways is going to end up barren. But the one who trusts, so trust was the key to the flourishing. Trust was what set the one apart from the other. And trust is what connects us to this peace of God, this supernatural restoration of God in our life. 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5. Praise God. Let's look at verse 7. Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. The word casting... Means to throw upon. It's not indicating like you would cast a fishing line and you're still holding on to it, but instead it would mean to fling something completely away from you and onto the beast of burden. The example that is a great example is in Luke where Jesus is about to make the triumphal entry into Jerusalem and they bring him the colt that had never been ridden and they they cast their garments upon the colt. They completely removed it from their possession and they threw it onto the beast of the 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 donkey, the colt. They 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 cast it away from them and onto the animal. That's the same word used here in 1 Peter Five, casting all of your care upon Him. He wants you to cast all. Amen. Does your Bible say all? Yes. Is that just in my Bible? Does your Bible say that too? I thought so. Your Bible says all. Yes. So there's not one He intends for you to hold on to. Yes. There was a sister who called Charles Caps Ministry, and she said she she was talking with uh, with them. She said, "If I just want." Uh, to have y'all pray that... Uh, she, I think she was actually talking with Brother Cap. She said, I just want to pray that you, if Jesus would just take half of my burdens, I think I could handle the other half. He would just take half of my burdens. He said, I can't pray that. That's not scriptural. You've got to cast all. You've got to cast all. This is not optional. This is not something that we can say, well, I'm going to hold on to this one. He said, casting all. This is actually how we humble ourselves. Because when we hold on to care, it's pride. According to this verse, it says, Humble yourself, casting all. Humble yourself. In other words, I can't fix it, but I know God can. I'm not the fixer of this situation. I'm not the one who can make my life whole. He is. So I'm going to cast all my care in obedience to His word upon Him But I want to look at this second part as well. It says, for He cares for you. He cares for you. This word care, referring to Jesus, the Lord caring for you, God caring for you, it means to give meticulous attention. To be concerned, thoughtful, interested, aware of, or to give meticulous attention. He gives meticulous, you know, He has numbered the hairs, not counted, numbered the hairs on our head. When you brushed your hair this morning, He knows what number came out in the brush. He numbers. That's meticulous attention to detail about our lives. He is engraving us upon the palms of His hands. He's very intimately acquainted with our lives. He's very interested in our lives. And He doesn't want us to carry our care. He says, cast all of your care upon the Lord, for He's giving meticulous attention to your life. This is trusting in the Lord. Trusting in the fact that He is my shepherd. He is able to keep me. I want to read a segment from uh, one of Brother Hagan's books. It's a story that I love to hear him tell. Uh, he says, When howling air raid sirens signaled another bombing raid in London during World War II, everyone ran to the nearest air raid shelter. Everyone, that is, except a certain elderly woman. The people in her neighborhood were busy during the daytime cleaning up the debris and trying to repair the damage inflicted by the bombs. At night, they huddled for protection in the air raid shelters. After several nights, someone commented that this elderly woman was missing. Some speculated that she had been injured and was in the hospital. Other neighbors wondered if she had been killed. Still, others thought she'd gone away to the country to escape the bombs. A few days later, one of her neighbors met her on the street during the daytime and said, We are certainly glad to see that you're back and to know you're all right. And she said, I haven't been anywhere. Well, but you haven't joined us in the air raid shelter, the neighbor responded. Where have you been? She said, I was at home sleeping. Sleeping, he asked, astonished. How could you sleep through all this? Aren't you frightened? No, she replied. When I was reading my Bible the other day, I found where it says that God neither slumbers nor sleeps. So I decided there was no need for both of us to be awake. (laughs) So while the bombs are dropping around her... She is in her bed, refuses to go to the air raid shelter. All of her neighbors are in there, huddled up, fearing for their lives, losing sleep, and she's just taking God at his word, Amen. trusting in the Lord. Look with me at Psalm 112 and verse 7. Hallelujah. Psalm 112 is a. Uh, Chapter that speaks about the righteous, you and I. And here in verse 7, it says, He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. Remember, let not your heart be troubled. There's not an evil tiding that can make you force you to go in a different direction than this scripture encourages you and instructs you to go. You shall not be, he shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed. Is that like having your mind stayed? His heart is fixed. Why? Trusting. So I keep my mind stayed because I'm trusting and I keep my heart fixed because I'm trusting. So trust has this supernatural ability to keep me focused on what's right. To keep me from out of curiosity following the link. And reading through the posts. And and seeing what they're saying. No, I don't need to see what they're saying. I don't need to tune into that. I don't need to feed on that. Why? Because I'm keeping my mind stayed and my heart fixed because I trust in the Lord. It says, He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed. Trusting in the Lord, his heart is established. Well, we looked at an established scripture this morning from Isaiah 54, where it says, In righteousness you shall be established. You will be far from oppression because you will not fear. So my establishing is an, is an establishing that guards me from fear. I don't have to enter into fear because I'm established in who I am in Christ. I'm trusting in the Lord. I'm trusting in the Lord. Shall not be afraid. My heart is fixed. My heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he see his desire upon his enemies. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So this is the inoculation against fear, trusting in the Lord. If I'm trusting, I'm already going in the right direction and the momentum of the trust is keeping me from turning and changing directions and going into the flow of fear. Psalm chapter 18 is a great place to find out what trusting people talk like. This, these are the kinds of things we say when we're trusting. Psalm 18, look with me at 28. This is a Psalm of David. And his, he was one who's... He, God said, he's a man after my own heart. Trusting in the Lord, right? He says in verse 28, For you will light my candle... The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. In other words, if I'm in a situation and I don't know what to do and it's confusing and it's dark and I can't see my way out of it, I'm going to depend on God to show me what to do. I'm going to look to Him for the answers. He's going to direct me in this. He's going to light my candle. He's going to enlighten my darkness. For by Thee, Lord, by Thee I have run through a troop and by my God have I leaped over a wall. Brother Hagin often said, if you want to have robust faith... How many wants to have robust faith? Amen. He said, if you want to have robust faith, rehearse often what God's done for you. Talk about what He's done for you. Hallelujah. In, in the uh, message that he wrote uh, and, and shared concerning uh, an interaction he had with the Lord, he called it, writing your own ticket. Uh, he said that the Lord dealt with him about that scripture from uh, Mark chapter 5 about the woman and that the Lord said uh, that that woman, uh, that she said it, she received it, she, uh, uh, she said it, she acted upon it, she received it, and then she told it. She went and told it. And then he gave another example of that same uh, pattern in where David uh, said what he was going to do to Goliath. He, he uh, acted on it. He received it. And then there was the telling of it. They, I mean, they were rehearsing what David had done. And the Lord included that in that telling of it. Why? Because there's a faith building that happens when you tell it. When you tell what the Lord has done for you. And it's not just you building other people's faith who are hearing you, but you are strengthening yourself when you boast in the Lord. When you rehearse what he's already done for you, you're like, oh, yeah, he did. He made me run through a troop. Because I couldn't run through a troop by myself, but because he was with me, I ran through a troop. I leaped over a wall. Can you imagine? I mean, this wasn't him just being figurative in his speech. He's saying, the anointing came on me, and I grabbed a bear. And I smote a lion and killed a lion with my bare hands because of God with me. God is on my side. And what He did for me with the bear and what He did for me with the lion, it's going to happen with that uncircumcised Philistine who's blaspheming my God. He's strengthening himself in the Lord as he's boasting in what God has done for him. Trusting in the Lord. Verse 30, As for God... His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler. And that is talking about a shield, a a safety, an armament. To all those that trust in Him. For who is God? Save the Lord. Or who is a rock, a refuge, a strong place? Save our God. It is God who girds me with strength. It is God who makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like hinds' feet. He sets me upon my high places. He teaches my hands to war so that a bow of steel is broken by my arms. You have also given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand has held me up and your gentleness has made me great. You have enlarged my steps under me so that my feet did not slip. Hallelujah. He is trusting in the Lord and stirring himself up in that trust. Glory to God. Psalm chapter 125 and verse 1. This is how we maintain the flow of restoration in our lives is that we're trusting in the Lord. We'll keep our mind stayed on Him as we trust and we'll keep our heart fixed on Him so that fear doesn't enter in. Psalm 125.1 says, They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abides forever. It specifically identifies the characteristic of immovability to let you know that when you're trusting in God, you're anchored. When you're trusting in God, the situation's not going to move you. The circumstance is not going to change you. You're going to be rooted and grounded in Him. Rooted and grounded and immovable. Hallelujah. Those who trust in the Lord will abide. They will remain. They will be constant. They will be immovable. Hallelujah. Which is... The main thing Jesus identified in His teaching on faith in Mark chapter 11, He says, if you believe and you do not doubt, well, doubt means to be moved. Doubt means to stagger, to change your position. It means to be double-minded. It means, He says the, in James, the person who doubts is like a wave of the sea. That person is easily moved. They're moved by the wind moved by the change in the circumstance, moved by the, the, the different direction that's going on around them. That's not you. That's not me and you. That's not us. We are not doubters. We are trusters in God. We are rooted in His Word. We believe God. Say it, I believe God. 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 And that believing is part of our trusting in Him. It also says in Psalm 28 and verse 7. I'm just sharing with you some of my favorite trust scriptures. Psalm 28, 7 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in Him and I am helped. There's a connection between our help and our trusting in Him. My heart trusted in Him and I'm helped. Hallelujah. My heart trusted and that connected me. That, that trusting of the heart, that faith in my heart connected me to His help. Remember, He's able to keep you in perfect peace, a well-developed, fully mature peace as your mind is stayed as that, because you trust in Him. When I'm trust, He's able to help me. When I'm trusting, the door is open for His help. The avenue is clear for His help. But if I, if I leave that trust, if I move over into distrust, if I move over into doubt, if I move over into gloom, despair, and agony on me, deep, dark depression, excessive misery, If I move over into that, God's like, oh, hey, hey, I can't help that. What are you saying that for? Why are you singing that song? So what do I need to say? You know, they came to Ziklag and everything they owned was gone. Their homes were burning, burned to the ground. Their family was all taken captive all of their children, their wives, all of them. And the the people were so overwhelmed by the grief and the loss that they said, we're just going to kill you. It wasn't David's fault. Why did they want to kill David? Because they were so full of sorrow and loss and pain that they just wanted to lash out with their pain, and, and blame it on somebody, they were going to kill David. David's experiencing the same kind of, of thoughts. His family's gone. His belongings are burning. He, he, he could at any time enter into the same despair that they're in, that they're, that they're resonating. He could have entered in... But in the middle of all of that loss and anger and hatred, he encouraged himself in the Lord. I, I would think at first they were like, You're doing what? My family is gone because I wasn't here. I was out fighting with you. My home is burned. My wife is, has been taken captive. My innocent children are in the control of these people. And you're, you're dancing before the Lord. You're lifting your hands. You're praising the Lord. But you know, by the end of the story, they were glad He did. When, when He got some clear direction, none of them could see clearly in that fog of despair and pain and sorrow. You, it's, it's, it's a, a shroud... It, it's a, a, a blinding so that all that you can see is that pain. He encouraged himself in the Lord. He had to move out of the natural and over into the spiritual to get the help from God that he needed. What if, what if he would have just given in? What if, the, what if the Shunammite woman had just given in to the circumstance and surrendered to it? What if Jairus would have just surrendered to what was happening in the natural? What if David would have just given in and sorrowed with the rest of them and they all turned on each other and tried to kill each other? But because somebody reached over into the provision of God, the spiritual supply to encourage himself, he didn't get any... God wasn't talking until he opened the avenue for God to talk. Help didn't didn't shoot down like an arrow, like a bolt of lightning and say, dun-dun-dun-dun, ask God to help you. He just had to reach inside here and say, wait a minute. The Lord is my strength. He's the one who's helped me every time. Anything I've ever gotten out of, God is the one who helped me out of it. Anything that has ever been good in my life, God's been the doer of it. I'm going to turn to Him. I'm going to ask him what I should do. He didn't even go to God and say, God, help me get him back. He said, Lord, do I? What do you want me to do? Do I pursue them? And God said, not only do you pursue them, but I want you to overtake and recover all. I want full restoration in your life. Everything the enemy has stolen from you, I want you to get it back. If he had never inquired of the Lord and encouraged himself in the Lord and got out of the emotional and over into the answer, we got to rely on the realm of the answer. He had to go over into the spiritual flow of encouraging himself in the Lord. What do you think, what kind of things do you think he might have said? And I think we could find it just by listening to how he talked to himself in the book of Psalms. Oh, my soul... Why are you disquieted within me? Let's hope in God. Let's, let's trust in the Lord. Let's look to the Lord. Let's recognize He's the creator of the heaven and earth. He's the way maker. He's the promise keeper. He's the light in the darkness. He's the one who'll make a way where there doesn't seem to be the way. He's the one who can make rivers flow in the desert. He's, and he began to. Isn't that what Jehoshaphat did when he was surrounded? completely surrounded on every hand, he comes out before the Lord and he says, Lord, let's talk about you. I'm not here to talk about the surrounded enemy yet. Let's talk about you. Let's talk about how amazing you are. Let's talk about how awe-inspiring you are. And the help came. The answer came. The clarity came. Hallelujah. He says, if you'll trust in me, I can help you. If you'll trust in me, I can help you. If you'll turn to me, I can help you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, something that I, I, I see that I did not know when I first began to walk with God is that it can look really hopeless in the natural but that doesn't hinder God at all from totally turning it around. That doesn't, that, it, it's not, it doesn't look that way to him. He, he doesn't look and say, this is an opportunity to give up. This is, this is where you should just throw in the towel. Iris, your daughter is dead. Don't trouble him any further. Do not fear, only believe. Trust in me. Keep your faith focused. And we'll close with Psalm 13. But I have trusted, verse 5, I have trusted in your mercy... My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice. When I'm trusting, it doesn't seem like there's a lot for me to do in the expressing. We know the the different verbiage that we saw that David declared. But when you've made the declaration, begin to rejoice. Begin to rejoice. I've trusted in you, and now my heart is rejoicing. My heart is rejoicing. Hallelujah. The evidence of trust is the rejoicing of the heart. The evidence of our trust is the rejoicing of our heart. Remember, faith rejoices, gives thanks, and is glad. Faith rejoices, gives thanks, and is glad. Doubt, despairs, complains, and is sad. Hallelujah. I found that to be true. I found that in the Scripture. I found that if I am believing and trusting, isn't that what the Apostle Paul said to the people Who were despairing for their life. They'd thrown off everything on the ship. I mean, they had thrown off everything to sail the ship with. And he says, Be of good cheer. I got a word from God none of us are going to die. Be of good cheer. He was glad about it. I believe God. So what? I'm going to be of good cheer. I'm going to rejoice. I trust in the Lord. Hallelujah. This is a time, family. This is a time for us to be spiritual. Be spiritual. Feed on spiritual food. Guard your heart against things that drain with fear and worry and anxiety and questions. Guard your heart and go to what you do know. One minister was in Bible college at Ramah, and he said some of the other students came to his house, and they got together for dinner at his house, and they all started talking about a certain topic from the Bible that none of them knew anything about. And they bantered back and forth between these first-year college students at Ramah and They all had their opinion and what they'd learned from the different background and church backgrounds that all of them had. Well, I think it means this, and I think it means that, and I think it means this. None of them had any Bible for it. None of them had any scriptural evidence. They were all just going off of the the perceptions and the religious traditions that they had had from before. And that minister said, after everybody had gone home and I laid down in the bed that night and I got quiet before the Lord. All of a sudden, right here in my heart, I heard the Lord say, you are farther from the truth about that subject now than you were before that conversation ever started. And he told him, don't entertain questionings and... and things that you don't have scriptural basis for. Focus on what you know. Give your attention to what you know. That's not to say that we aren't to be taught in doctrinal things, but praise God, that's one of the the gifts in the the office of the pastor is to help us to be stable in those things and not to be uh, tossed to and fro with winds of doctrine. To help bring us into that maturity. The guarding of the heart is something that I can't do for you. Pastor Steele can't do it for you. Jesus can't do it for you. If you allow your mind to be entertained by things that are detrimental to what you believe, it opens the door and takes you in a direction. I praise God for mercy. I have seen some people recover. And get back on track and flush out the wrong thinking. Flush out those wrong things and get themselves back. But they have to purpose to do it. It's just a lot safer to to guard your heart from the onset. To recognize there are things that would try to to trip me up. And I'm not going to feed on them. I'm not going to let them in my heart. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you that every person under the sound of my voice approves what is excellent. I ask you for that, Lord. That you give us supernatural ability to select what is good. That we would discern between what is good and what is not good for us. And that we would approve that which is excellent. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Stand with me to your feet if